Plato's Cave is the most famous story of Western philosophy. It is a story of prisoners chained in a cave all their lives, watching shadows cast by a fire behind them. One of them is released and ascends to the surface where, for the first time in his life, he sees the sun. It is a strange story, but Plato writes, they are just like us. According to Plato, we live in that cave. The story is about education, but not education in the sense of schools. It's about education in a wider sense. What does it mean to learn, to grow and to develop in life? This is the question we focus on in this podcast. We will explore life from Plato's cave. The story has been interpreted and reinterpreted countless times since it was written almost two and a half thousand years ago by other philosophers, but also by filmmakers, scientists and religions. It's like a jazz standard or a song that is covered over and over again in different styles. In this first episode, I will explain what this podcast is about. Then I asked my friend Masha to read the allegory to you. It's a short story and we'll refer to it again and again in the following episodes. If you want to skip right ahead, go to 5 minutes and 30 seconds. So what will this podcast be about? It's a course in interdisciplinary philosophy in which we use Plato's cave to think about and understand life, or at least the part of life that you are interested in. I will speak with philosophers, artists, scientists and others who have an interesting interpretation of the allegory. We will go on a journey together and look at life from a new perspective every episode. You don't need to have any background in philosophy. I want this to be an accessible way to do philosophy for anyone. For me, philosophy is something that you can do every day and you don't need an academic course to do it. All you need is the willingness to think things through and the openness to have your preconceived notions challenged. But we'll get to that later. What do I mean by the interdisciplinary part? Interdisciplinary means to integrate different disciplines. A discipline is basically a systematic way of approaching a subject. So physics and chemistry are disciplines, but so is filmmaking, practicing medicine and even martial arts. We can look at any object through the lens of different disciplines. A field of flowers can be seen as a topic of painting or from the perspective of agriculture or biology or by an economist who calculates the net value of the land and its crops. If you think back of a situation where you reacted in a different way than you would have liked to, you could look at the situation through the lens of psychology or as a story in which you are the main character, or you could wonder where emotions come from, or how it is related to the culture that you live in. So if you really want to understand something in life, my experience is that it helps to examine it from different angles. Life is simply too beautiful to be captured by any one perspective. So that is what we will do. We will examine the question of what it means to learn, to grow and to develop in this life on earth. That is the philosophy part. We will do so by examining life from different angles. That is the interdisciplinary part. To bring everything together, 
and to structure our journey, we will use Plato's allegory of the cave. If you are interested in learning and thinking, then this course is for you. It is free and just listen to the episodes in order or start with one that attracts you. But the most important part of interdisciplinary philosophy is this. It is about whatever interests you. If you are listening to this on your morning walk in the park, then it is about walking in the park. If you are thinking about politics, then it is about politics. So whatever is your focus, your obsession, whatever it is you want to study, you can use this course to think about that. You can study your topic through the lens of philosophy, the lens of film, the lens of art, the lens of physics, spirituality, and many more. And by looking at something familiar or something that you want to get to know through different lenses that you may be unfamiliar with, you will see new sides of the object that you are interested in. Now, I will let Masha read you the story. And I will ask some questions that you could think about between now and the next episode. By the way, I'm planning to release an episode every month. This course is free and it's not affiliated to any institution. I'll tell you about my own background in later episodes. And if you want to support me, I listed some ways to do that on my website. Here it is, Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Compare the effect of education and the lack of it on our nature to an experience like this. Imagine human beings living under the earth in a cave-like dwelling. Stretching a long way up toward the daylight is its entrance, which is as wide as the cave itself. They have lived in this dwelling since childhood, shackled by the legs and neck. They stay in the same place, and all they ever see is what happens directly in front of their faces. Because they are shackled, they are unable to turn their heads and look around or at each other. Some light is provided by a fire burning far above and behind them, stretching between them and the fire, so on higher ground behind their backs there is a walkway stretching from side to side. A low wall has been built along this walkway, like a curtain above which puppeteers show their puppets. Imagine that along this low wall, people are carrying all sorts of things that reach up higher than the wall. Statues made of stone or wood and many other materials. As you would expect, some of the carriers are talking to each other as they walk along, and some are silent. Glaucon says, This is a strange image you are describing, Socrates, and strange prisoners. Socrates. They are very much like us humans. What do you think? From the day they were born, these people have never managed, whether on their own or with the help of others, to see anything besides the shadows that the glow of the fire continually projects on the wall in front of them. How could they, if they have to keep their heads motionless throughout life? And isn't the same true of the artifacts being carried along the wall? 
and if the prisoners could talk to one another, don't you think that they would think that the names they used applied to the shadows in front of them? And what if their prison had an echo from the wall facing them? They'd believe that the shadows passing in front of them were talking whenever one of the carriers passing along the wall was doing so. The prisoners would in every way believe that the truth is nothing other than the shadows of those statues. Consider then what it would be like if one of them was released from their chains, forced to stand up suddenly, to turn around, walk and look up toward the light. That person would be able to do this only with pain. Because of the flickering brightness of the fire, he would be unable to look at those things whose shadows he saw before. What do you think he would say if we told him that the shadows he had seen all his life are inconsequential and that now he was much nearer to things that are and that because he has been turned toward what is more real, he sees more correctly. And if we were to point to the things that were passing by and demand him to tell us what they are, don't you think that he would be at a loss? And that he would consider that the things he saw earlier with his own eyes were truer than what he is now being shown. And if someone forced him to look into the glare of the fire, wouldn't his eyes hurt? And wouldn't he then turn away and flee back to the things he is able to see without hurting? And wouldn't he decide that what he could see before without any help is in fact clearer than what he is now being shown? If someone dragged him away from there by force and pulled him up the cave's rough and steep ascent and didn't let go of him until he had dragged him out into the light of the sun, wouldn't he be in pain and be furious at being treated that way? And when he came into the light, with the sun filling his eyes, wouldn't he be unable to see anything that is now revealed to him as the truth? He would be unable to see anything but light, at least at first. It would take some time to get accustomed before he would be able to see things outside the cave, in the light of the sun. At first he would see shadows most easily, then images of people and of other things reflected in water. Later he would be able to see the things themselves of which these images are a reflection. Of these he would be able to study the things in the sky and the sky itself by looking at the light of the stars and the moon at night rather than by looking at the sun and its radiance during the day. Finally, he would be ready to look at the sun itself, not just at its reflection, whether in water or whatever else it might appear. He would see the sun itself as it is, in and of itself, and in its own place, and contemplate what it is. By this time, he would infer that the sun provides the seasons and the years and governs everything in the visible world, and that it is also the cause of everything that he could that he used to see below in the cave. What about when he recalls his first dwelling place and what passed for knowledge there and the people with whom he once was chained? Don't you think he would consider himself lucky because of his transformation and feel sorry for them? And if there had been any 
honors and prizes among them for who's sharpest at identifying the shadows that passed by, at remembering which ones normally come first, which ones later, and which ones at the same time, and therefore could predict which ones might come next. Do you think that he would desire those rewards and envy people who were honored and held power? Or would he much rather wish upon himself the condition that Homer speaks of, to work the land above ground as a serf of a poor man? And wouldn't he prefer to put up with absolutely anything else rather than share their opinions and live as they do? And consider this, if this person returned down into the cave again and sat in the same seat, wouldn't his eyes coming suddenly out of the sun like that be filled with darkness? And before his eyes had readjusted, and the adjustment would not be quick, if he once more had to compete with those who had remained shackled at asserting and maintaining opinions about the shadows, wouldn't he invite ridicule? And wouldn't they say that he had gone up only in order to come back with his eyes ruined, and so it certainly does not pay to go up? And if he tried to release them from their chains and lead them upward, wouldn't they try to kill him? In this whole image, our own visible world should be likened to the prison dwelling, and the light of the fire inside it to the power of our sun. You can see the upward journey and the study of the things above, as the upward journey of the soul. Whether it is true or not, only God knows, but this is how I see it. Here are some questions. Plato says that this story is about education. What does he mean by that? Plato says that the prisoners in the cave are just like us. How are we like those prisoners? And remember, this is a thought experiment, so it's not about whether you agree or not with the story, but just try to put yourself in the prisoner's shoes. What does it mean to be released and turned around? Have you ever had an experience in your life where you realized that something you had always believed was an illusion? Why does the prisoner return into the cave? I mean, it seems pretty great at the surface. Why not stay there? And finally, why does his story make no sense at all to his former colleagues when he returns into the cave? Thank you for listening. I hope to see you again next month.